Our mission is to partner with the most innovative people in America to help them compete in a very competitive market and to help them save a tremendous amount of time mm-hmm. so they can truly help employers. And if we can be a part of that, you know, from an insights perspective and a and a process improvement perspective, um, you know, that's that's what I get excited about every single day. All right. Well, I'm here with Glenn Fisher, the CEO of NavMD. How you doing, man? Hey, pretty good. good. How you doing, Spence? Good to see you. Thanks for coordinating. We were joking with yeah. the shirt. Coordinates with the couch. Yep. Probably. I'm the new uh, pillow on the couch. Your new pillow on the couch, man. I'll, I'll let you let you take that title, man. But it's good to see you. Thanks for coming in from Kansas City, man. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. Fitting this into your Dallas schedule, man. I I view you, and I, I was joking with you before, the coolest guy in insurance, and oh, so man. really excited to finally sit down and capture conversation on the podcast. Yeah, and I've I've always admired you, Spencer, and in the way you want to teach people about stop loss, about self funding, and uh, you know I consider you probably my professor teacher uh, <laughs> of uh, of self funding one hundred and one. Well, I appreciate that. That's an honor, man, and I really I really respect you for saying that. So today we're talking about NavMD. We're going to talk about data analytics, right? That's what mm-hmm. that's the core, the crux of the conversation today. But before we do that, I'd like to highlight who. Who's Glenn Fisher? Like, what's your backstory? We'll talk about the core. We'll talk about your origins in the waste management business, which I think is going to be pretty exciting. But why don't you, why don't you tell the audience a little about who you are, Glenn? Yeah, I'm a, I, I've been in the uh, benefits world for a very short period of time. Um, you know, since 2018 when, when I acquired NavMD. But prior to that, I, I've just been a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I've been involved in a lot of different businesses, I guess you could break it up into to two phases, truck phase, <laughs> non-truck phase, okay, okay. technology. Okay. So, you know, um, but but prior to that, I, I was in the Marine Corps, I was in the air wing. And, um, you know, that provided me with a pretty good foundation for, you know, what it, tell, what it takes to excel in a mission. Sure. And no matter how tough the odds, I can figure this out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of at a, at a high level. And then, you know, from a leadership principle perspective, I mean, a few things came out of it. I mean, the concept of being mission ready, you got to have clarity and focus mm-hmm. to, to execute well and to execute fast. Yeah. Well, that's what I was say. I've got friends in uh, the Marine Corps as well. And execution seems like a very common terminology, right? It's like you have an action plan, you know what the constraints of whatever this project are, and the mission is to go execute on it. Like, so that language, I think, transforms or transfers really well into sales, into mm-hmm. operations, you know? And so I think guys that are in the Marine Corps and all the training that you guys get to get, and then if you ever see action as well, it does prepare you very well to then turn around and come into the civilian world, into the private sector, and then use those skills that transfer very well into different parts of our industry. So was there anything in particular, you said leadership, kind of mission-ready, understanding execution, but any other sort of skills that you feel transfer Yeah, I think, well? um, you know, a couple things, uh, a couple other things would be tempo. I mean, tempo matters, the ability to react quickly um, and efficiently and you know, chaotic environments is, is important. Uh, the rule of three. Okay. So, uh, the rule of three is when, when under pressure, um, people can only focus on three things. So don't give them five, 10, 15, 20 things to do. If you, if you're, uh, focused on your, your C-suite, 
you know, you, they only can do three things and focus on three things. So pick the top time. three and just make sure you, you deliver on those top three. I like that. Exactly. Okay. And then, so when, so you got out of the core, you were in there, yep. what, five or six years, correct? Six years. And you said, you said you were fortunate enough to be in there during peacetime, right? So yeah, for the most part, there was a, you know, the Panama conflict. Okay. I was uh, geared up, ready to go. And then at the last minute, they, they uh, called it off. It kind of settled. But I, you know, I feel really blessed to, to serve during peacetime. Sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. And so then now walk me forward, right? Is this when the truck phase of your career came into? So, so what did it, we do after we got out of the, the core? It is. Uh, so, so I, I ended up, um, meeting some people, um, that, that had a, had a challenge and the okay. challenge was that their trash company, um, was taking forever to pick up their trash. Mm. So, so, uh, they had two containers on a job site, guys, 40 guys making $27 an hour, and they were waiting for an empty container. Okay. And that time was stacking up. So because of, you know, um, that issue and that challenge, I was able to convince them if I bought a couple trucks and a, in a few containers, you know, that would, that's how I kind of carved out my, opportunity. Did you have any trash. experience in the trash business oh, before no. doing this? I, I knew nothing about so it. So you just recognized an opportunity. You said, you know what? I can fix that. Right. right. So how do you go in about, how do you go about acquiring trucks with no experience or no background? Do you just saw some for sale or like, how did you go, no, how did you go uh, pick them up? Luckily my customer helped me with that okay. because they, they had a lot of trucks. They were, they were in the construction business. Okay. So they, they helped me identify two junkers that <laughs> at the time, I mean, they, they were rough. The yeah. containers had holes in them. I, I was, wasn't even sure they were going to be able to hold anything. So we patched those up and I, and that's how I kind of, kind of started the deal. Well, the opportunity is in the margin, right? You discovered that you could do it a little bit better, probably faster, right? And yeah. hopefully, maybe, maybe, maybe not cheaper, but you recognize an opportunity. So, like, tell me. I mean, you're probably trial by fire. You don't have any background, and you're you're buying these trucks, and you're going to start doing, uh, you know, waste management routes, right? So, like, right. were there some pretty big problems that you encountered, or oh, yeah, so, oh, you know what moments that you, you encountered? For sure. Yeah. So, so there's two sides to that business. There's the construction side, which was really easy to do because the landfill costs are the most, the biggest part of the okay. expense when you're a trash hauler. Um, I was able to dump that stuff really inexpensively, but then I tried to migrate over to, to the industrial side of, of trash and compete. And what I found is that my biggest competitor that owned the landfill would charge $200 a load. And I had to charge $400 a load up to a certain tonnage. So I was always two times the cost. Okay. So I had to figure out a way to compete. Yeah, yeah. And I did. So anytime I'd go to a trash account, I would go to the back dock and let's sit and look at the trash first and determine what's in the trash. So if this account was picking up 10 times a week, I would look, what's, see what's in the trash and I would pull out the recyclables. So that's cardboard, paper, metal. So if I could pull out 60% of that load and recycle that, that's 60% less pickups, plus okay. they're generating revenue mm. on those recyclables. So now I'm down to four pickups. Those four pickups, I bring in a compaction device, and I would compact those at a five or six to one ratio. Okay. So now I'm down to less than one pickup a week. Uh, I'm still charging my four or $500, but I just saved them 75% right. on the hauling alone, plus in good markets, they would make money on the recyclables. Yeah, interesting. So I started picking away at accounts. Yeah. 
I took their largest account, their second largest account. And then the owner of the landfill, his name was Ronnie Deffenbaugh. He invites me out to the landfill and says, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is my time. I'm, I'm in my twenties. I'm like, this is it. Like they're going to give me a landfill deal because I'm, I've been so successful. They're so impressed with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I get there, I jump in Mr. Deffenbaugh's truck and we drive at the top of the landfill and he goes, this is beautiful. And then he goes, I have, I have built this pile of trash (laughs) and he, and he goes, Hey, grab me a pen out of that glove box, will you? And so I open the glove box. I look in the glove box. There's no pen in there. There's just a pile of guns. Okay. <laughs> You're like, uh. <laughs> yeah. So I said, uh, Mr. Devenbaugh, um, you know, there is a pile of guns in here. I, I don't see a pen. He goes, ah, don't worry about it. He says, you know, a lot of people come into this landfill and some leave, some don't. Just wanted to kind of share that with you. Yeah. All right, we're done here. And then he drives me back Jeez. and I hop in my car and- and that, that was, how long did it take you to get the message? If you will, was it instantaneous or did it take you a little bit to go, Oh, hold on. He just threw well, I was a little yeah. confused. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know why there was a pile of guns in yeah. the glove box. So, so, you know, it, at, at, at that point I was like, okay, this was that meant to nowhere. alter your behavior to get you to slow down young buck. Like what, what, what do you think it he was, ultimately wanted you to do? But it just, it just fueled me even more. Okay. So, so I went out and took a couple other accounts. Okay. And yeah. bought a couple guns, maybe just to yeah, get yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, see that glove box, Mister Davenport. Yeah, exactly. Geez. Well, so the trash business is considerably more gritty, I'd say, than the insurance business. But so, so walk me to now. How when did you get out? When did you exit that business? And then when did you get into more what we would see consider fintech and software and things sure. like that? So, so I, um, I I sold the business to waste management, and then I was president of waste management for a couple years. Mm. Uh, so I had a, I had a really incredible opportunity to lead a publicly traded company and, and kind of understand how that flows. And, and, you know, it was a complete turnaround. So we turned around that, uh, you know, it was a half a billion dollar market and it were ended up selling that entire business uh, for a premium. Nice. Uh, and then that's when I transitioned and I built the largest shredded franchise uh, in the country in Kansas City, Salt Lake and Boise. And then after I exited that, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do trucks anymore. Yeah. I mean, I would show up on the lot, you know, I'd have 300 trash trucks, 30 of them would be broken down, 30 of them wouldn't start, and 30 <laughs> guys didn't show up. I yeah, mean, it was just yeah. that kind of routine on a, on a daily yeah, basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was on the sidelines and I get a call from a guy that installed my uh, phone systems for me in some of my businesses. And he said, hey, I want to introduce you to a guy that's looking for someone to build a a loan management software pa- software and um, and then do servicing, customer okay. service and collections. So I met with him. Um, I, I knew nothing about technology, and I thought, oh man, this sounds really fun. I've always wanted to explore how technology works in the business world, and so I built the platform. I hired my first ten people, and that business absolutely exploded. No and kidding. over the over the decade, we we grew it to over two billion in revenue. Jeez. And um, and that was where I learned how important it is to use technology to streamline people's time and productivity so you can do more for less. Yeah. Well, so, you know, 
I, I got to stop here for a second because your track record of success is pretty phenomenal as an entrepreneur. And yeah, I've highlighted a few serial entrepreneurs. Some of them are like, well, my first couple of businesses stunk. And then finally I figured it out. Oh, yeah. It seems like, you know, I'm sure you've had some missteps along the way, but I mean, you've I can share also had the ability. Yeah, I'd love to hear about those, but it seems like you, there's a consistent through line of success throughout your career. Do, what do you think prepared you to be a guy that just sees the vision of something, knows how to turn it into something bigger than it was. I mean, is this something that was innate to you? Is this from your upbringing? Where did you get the spirit of an entrepreneur, an successful entrepreneur? This podcast is brought to you by True Captive Insurance, a premier medical stop-loss captive for employer groups ranging from 25 to 1,000 employees. True Captive believes in healthcare that is personal and insurance that isn't complicated. That's why they take a white-glove approach making it easy for employer groups to transition into a program built specifically for them. Check them out at truecaptive.com. You know, I, I just always try to focus on the problem. And if you focus on the problem and bring in the right people to surround yourself with, I mean, I, I'm, I definitely am not the smartest guy in the room. That's why I, I hire people mm -hmm. that, I can, that I can trust and we can work together to, to truly make a difference. Well, I was listening to a podcast clip yesterday and this, uh, this lady was talking about 70 plus 70 equals 140 rule. And so the way she, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the way she explained it is, well, I can do something at a hundred percent. Like if I'm the best that I can do this, but if I could hire two people that do it approximately 70% of what I can do to collectively, they're at 140% capacity right. and that frees my time up to do something else. So, so what you're kind of saying is rather than force everything through the Glenn Fisher bottleneck, if you will, because Glenn might be able to do it the best, but he only has so much time. You hire good people, surround yourself with good and smart right. people and let them solve those problems for I you, think right? The market research is another key piece. So the one business I truly failed at was a, was a business called Shareware. Okay. I invested about $300,000 in building this platform that would allow parents to monitor their kids on social media mm. and, get, and get notifications if they're bullied or they're bullying somebody, or there's a sexual predator trying to have conversations. And everybody I talked to in my little world in, you know, Johnson County, Kansas, um, said, oh, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. So I built it. But what I didn't realize is that most of the market is not like where I live in Johnson County, okay. Kansas. So a lot of parents thought, oh, well, I... I wouldn't buy this because that's spying on your kid. Um, so the thing I failed at was really doing a, a bigger focus group okay. of, of like the, the world to truly figure out if someone was going to buy this. Thing. So what do you think that what was the disconnect for the broader market? Why do you think there wasn't enough people that were willing to, to purchase something like that? Yeah, they, they um, $10 a month to buy that. Uh, some of the market probably can't afford that. Okay. That wouldn't be an important priority on their, you know, uh, hey, do I buy, you know, dinner and pay my rent or do I pay $10 a month to- Do you to think it was solely the price point? I mean, if you could have lowered the price point or do you think it was just the market wasn't ready for that type of monitoring yet? I mean, how long ago was this? This was back in 2000, early 2000s. Okay, and okay. I, I, I um, it, that could be, but there was another guy that, that I knew that, built a similar platform and I reached out to him and he was a marketing genius. He, he knew how to build engagement uh, and get people excited about a product and he failed at it as well. Okay. So I, you know, he sold it to one of the credit bureaus and, um, and so I called him after he sold, I said, Hey, you know, how, you know, 
how did that go? And he said, shut it down. <laughs> and I went, what? Well, yeah. <laughs> shut it down? Yeah. He goes, yeah, people are not going to buy it. Ah, interesting, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, right? I mean, we're obviously going to talk about your successes and of course we'll get into NavMD in a second, but it's also nice to hear that, you know, not everything works out, right? Some, right. some people just assume, oh, if I go build a business, sure, it's going to work because I'm going to work really hard or exactly. I'm really smart or my idea is really great. And there's so many market forces that you have to consider that even if your idea is fantastic and you put everything you got into it and, and it should have worked, it might still not work sometimes, right? Yeah, sometimes you can't force a square peg in a round hole. And is what, what was the learning? You know, So people look at failure mm-hmm. as a learning opportunity. So For what sure. was the learning opportunity you, that you took away from that? For me, I, I always do a lot of research up front on all the competitors, and I understand the business really, really well. I didn't do a good job at that okay. with Shareware because my, my emotions were, I'm going to protect my, my boys. I want to make sure that they you know, they're not a bully and they're not getting bullied. And I want to make sure that, you know, they're protected on social media. And, um, so emotions drove that Ah, more so than, than I didn't spend enough time in market research and, and really talking to people. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, okay. So let's move forward then, because I want to get to NavMD, but I know there's a couple steps in between that. When did you enter what we would consider the benefits world? Did you had some FinTech, uh, opportunities before that, before you would have MD in 2018 or what would you do prior? Yeah. I, I just, just in the FinTech world, I built that service. So financial technology. So I I was on the consumer lending side and the business lending side for many, many years on the servicing piece. Uh, and, and then of course we would fund, um, a, a lot of business deals, uh, across the country. You know, when, when, um, businesses can't get money at a bank, we would fund them. Um, I see you know, in an alternative way. Kind of, yeah, I have a friend in a non-traditional lending space, yes, right? Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. pretty, pretty interesting space. So um, what attracted you about data analytics though? Like I, I'm curious because when you go, you, you, uh, NavMD already existed prior to your um, yes. connection with them. Okay, so what was it about that business that was so intriguing to you? Yeah, so in 2018, I, I was on the sidelines and I was doing some coaching with with other other CEOs that I that I, I knew pretty well in Kansas City, and it was really hard. Uh, I really didn't enjoy coaching, so I, I set out to buy a new business, and I and I started looking at. I mean, I looked at dozens and dozens of businesses, and uh, one of my buddies, uh, Tom Tilly in Kansas City, introduced me to NavMD, hmm. and when I learned what NavMD did, I went, "This is it. This is the business," because. I have bought benefits for companies with 50 to 100 people. I've bought benefits for people with over 2,500 employees. I've bought business for union mm-hmm. um, run businesses, non-union. And every year it's the same type of, of story. The advisor meet, meets with me. He says, hey, great news. Um, I got you a, a 12% rate increase. It yeah. was 18 and I really you know, worked with them to get it down to 12. So then what I have to do is I have to um, decide how am I going to adjust my plan? Mm-hmm. To, and my employees are going to get crappier coverage. How am I going to strip benefits out of the yep. plan, right? Yep. Um, how much am I going to pass off to my employee to pay? And, the, you know, their out-of-pocket costs go down now. And then third, how am I going to take a hit to my bottom line? Mm-hmm. That was a horrible process yeah. every single year. And, and, and I thought, well... If we can bring in claims data and and truly understand what's happening, maybe there's a chance we could help employers do something different. 
Well, I don't, I don't want to sound like a broken record because it's my favorite fa- phrase, but you can't manage what you can't measure, right? right. So the, the fact that you have claims data is one of the biggest motivators, I believe, and for an employer to self-fund is actually seeing what's driving your costs, right? And then you get into the depths of data analytics or you know this, this type of platform that has all of the data, right? Yeah. Not just, oh, a couple of your top utilizers or a couple of the highest you know, spenders, but there's no real detail about what's underlying that cost. That's really powerful. It so is. did you did you recognize that right away that having access to the data would be a game changer? This podcast is sponsored by PlanSight. PlanSight is a technology for employee benefits brokers to more efficiently manage their RFP process for any group size, all funding types, and over 20 benefit lines and point solutions. PlanSight is the only end-to-end RFP technology on the market today. Let's modernize your RFP process together. Check us out at PlanSight. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my my previous business in the fintech world, we we had built uh, some pretty significant um, business intelligent dashboards that that basically managed our process and allowed us to be more efficient. And it me- measured our, our 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 customer experience to make sure that we're delivering on on the customer piece. So using Insights and analytics is, you know, it's something that is is now ingrained in my heart for forever. Mm-hmm. Well, and before we get too far, I do want to give you a chance in your own words sort of describe NavMD because we've we've suggested it's data analytics. That's what we're going to talk about. But yeah. can, tell me your value proposition as a company. so so as a, as an entrepreneur buying insurance. Uh, naturally, I mean, I thought health benefits was broken. Mm-hmm. And as I would talk to advi- my advisor, and you know, it, it seemed like it was kind of impossible to fix. But but as I've interviewed some of the most innovative people in in America over the last few years, including you, Spencer, well, I, mean, I admire you greatly. Well, thank you, man. Um, I've learned a lot, and what I learned is that it starts with data. But I use this term a little bit around healthcare is fixed. Yeah, and our mission at NavMD is to to partner with the most innovative people in America and fix employee benefits one plan at a time. And I believe we can do that. And it starts with data. And then it's building the right team, implementing the right strategies and solutions that are already out there that other employers are doing. And it is fixing it. Well, that's, I think, I think you're right, right? So we, we talked about how, you know, David Voorhees talked about the flux state of, right. of, so his opinion is healthcare is always in flux, which I think yes. to a degree, you could make that argument. You're, the notion that you're presenting is, well, it, it is fixed in the sense that the solutions that can fix it are already out there. It's just understanding that they're out there, one, the awareness, right, yes. that that solution exists. And then two, having a good consultant, advisor, or strategist that knows how to take those solutions, compile exactly. them into a cohesive uh, you know, final product, right? And I think yep. that's that really is the challenge. That's where the money is made, is the person that knows how to put these things all together for an actionable result. So NavMD as a solution, right? So we're talking about the data. How, do, how are we normalizing this data? How are we collecting it? And what type of insights are we gleaning out of, out of the platform? Yeah, as I've said, it, it starts with data. Uh, building that solid foundation, we we uh, we work with the carriers, the TPAs, uh, the PBMs, bring in the data. We, we typically, it takes us about 60 days to do that for a new plan. Okay. And uh, and then once it's in the data, in our database, um, and it's live in our system, uh, there's a couple things that also happen in that foundational, we, we, in, we enrich the data. So, Pretty much carrier data is kind of dumb. Yeah. 
Okay. And what we do is we group claims in episodes of care, okay. um, which allows us to assign a risk to every single member, zero being the lowest, 25 being the highest. And that is what allows us to predict future risk and future cost for a plan. Okay. So that, so when you say the data is dumb, it's just, it's, it's scattered, right? It's right. just this data dump of line items that you're taking and applying Bingo. some intelligence to, to compile those together to episodes of care. That's right. That's an interesting, I don't know if that term is common, but that's the first time I've heard that the term episodes of care, but that allows you then to, to sort of draw connection points between their spectrum of care and assign it to a member and assign them a risk score. Okay. Interesting. So the third part of building that solid foundation is about 25% of all claims that are paid are should have been paid. Okay. Uh, so that equates to about $325 billion a year. So what we do is we scan that data going back two years and we monitor it moving forward. Mm. And um, our, our payment integrity review uh, delivers about 20% back to the employee and about 3% back to the plan. To the plan. Okay. Just by going backwards and retroactively looking at those claims. Exactly. Two years, you said it yep, goes backwards. Very cool. You bet. And then does it apply that knowledge forward as well to recognize these are patterns of, of fraud, waste, and abuse in, in the errors in the system as yep. well? Okay. So to your historical look back and ongoing monitoring and alerts. Okay. So if I'm a broker that doesn't have a platform of any kind, so not necessarily I'm using a competitor's platform, but I'm using nothing at all. Right. What am I missing? Right. Like, cause I think that's important. A lot of uh, brokers or consultants that listen to this podcast might have a few self-funded groups, but maybe the majority of their book is small group or fully insured. And so, you know, not having anything at all, where, where are my blind spots? If I'm not looking at data at all, like, what am I missing? Yeah, well, you know, it goes back to, you know, having that, uh, you know, it takes time to pull data from a carrier. It mm -hmm. takes a lot of time for account teams. And when you look at account teams, they are maxed out with all the things they have to do to service oh, yeah. a particular employer. So what I learned in the fintech world is you got you to gotta bring in technology to make that process a lot more efficient. So my goal is to equip the producers with things that are impactful that allows them to compete in a very competitive market and give account teams about 40% of their time back. Okay. And we do that because we do the data management. We already have visual visualizations built so they can easily see what's happening within the plan and they don't have to recreate the wheel. So like a dashboard, if exactly. you will. Okay, cool. And then we integrate with other technologies across America that we know work, like PlanSight. Yep, yep. PlanSight streamlines the marketing and RFP process, and that's probably the biggest piece of the 60, 16 hours a week per account team member that they get back because yeah. they save all that time. Well, so that's, you know, that's just it, right? It's like there's these different types of technology that exist, but all of them collect somewhat of a similar data set, have different uses for it, but it's like, what is the what is the synchronicity between all these systems, right? Like, if you have been admin systems, you have enrollment systems, you have agency management systems, you have data analytics, and now you have right. RFP software. There's all of these systems want approximately the same type of data, but right right now, what happens is a lot of them are just simply disconnected. So a human being has to intervene in every single location to input that data. So the more that we can connect, you know, vertically, you know, upwards and downwards on the scale 
you know, it's going to save people time. So you talk about that 16 hours a week, that could have a compounding effect if multiple systems are talking to each other simultaneously. Exactly. That's our vision. I know you share that vision as well. So I'm glad you brought that up. But in terms of like the usefulness of the data, like let's talk about a real world example of, you know, a, a type of claim that you, you are able to identify that then obviously turns into something actionable or, you know, w- with, with having the power of this information at my fingertips as a consultant, how do I go apply it to impact the plan itself? Yeah, that's- that is a, a great point because, you know, when, when I got involved in NavMD, I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. Actionable insights. We're going to be able to give these actionable right. insights to advisors across America and they're going to be able to do something about it. But because they're strapped on time, because they're trying to service so many accounts with so little time, it's, what I realized is we have to build a marketplace mm. of proven integrated solutions that we know work, that we can build out that savings analysis in our platform. So let's let's look at the probably the most impactful piece of the healthcare spend. Okay, that's specialty meds. Um, specialty meds or, or, med, or the the pharmacy spend is typically about thirty percent mm-hmm. of the overall spend, and uh, about forty percent of the pharmacy spend is specialty meds. Okay, so we have a solution that that can deliver 11% back to the plan by taking a look at not not switching people off the specialty meds that they're on but figuring out a different way to buy those okay. medications yeah. and so it, sourcing them differently exactly. okay interesting yeah so that's one of many marketplace solutions that we have built into our platform. Well, I was going to say, I talked to a lot of stop-loss carriers and all of them uh, kind of bemoan the future of specialty medications and yeah. gene therapy medications as well. Absolutely. I mean, those are scary when you tar- start hearing some of the numbers, right? It's this weird dynamic of the use case is there, right? And if you have somebody with a very severe condition and it's, you know, very a rare condition and it's a child and you can fix their blindness or something, I mean, it's like, who wouldn't want to use it? Like anybody mm-hmm. ethically would, wouldn't stand in the way, but then you look at the price tag and you're like, wow, this is <clears throat> $1.8 million or $2 million for the shot. So you have that financial component as well. So it's not to say don't use the medication. Like you're saying, you're not kicking people off from being able to use the medication they need, but perhaps there's a better way to acquire that That's medication, right. right? So outside of the pharmacy world, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of usefulness for the stop loss vendors, correct? I mean, on the, on that subject, right? So you guys are providing claims information to stop loss carriers that might help with renewals, might help with determining lasers and things like that. So are you actively having conversations or getting involved with the consultants on their behalf with these stop loss vendors? Are you talking to them too? We're on a mission to partner with the most innovative companies in America to fix health benefits one plan at a time. NavMD has created a blueprint that delivers world-class benefits to 155 million Americans. Better benefits, starts with data intelligence. Our platform is empowering the next generation of advisors to zero in on opportunities to optimize the plan, build the right team, implement proven strategies and solutions. Join us on our journey to revolutionize health benefits. Let NavMD put you a step ahead. Yes, we are. Uh, our, our our advisors that use our platform uh, call one of our um, dashboards. It's the $250,000 dashboard. Okay. Because when they run that on a particular plan, it allows them to look at that segment of the population that is driving the cost up, remove the people that are no longer on the plan, mm-hmm. and 
show which members are trending to a lower risk level ah. because they've they've uh, they're no longer in that higher risk. So by going back equipped with data, they can they can argue the point that hey, you know, this rate should be a little different. And and they're successful at doing that, and that's why it's called the two hundred fifty thousand. Well, and I'm, I'm I'm see why I got the name because that's what, that's what when I ever would deal internally with my underwriters as a stop loss rep, is one thing to go be. I need you to shave some points off so I can right. be in the business. And they're Beg like, eh. for the discount. Like okay, but you better go sell this one. Or it's another thing yeah. like hey, the brokers come to me and here's what they're going to do to address these people and this person's off the plan. I mean, you have evidence, right? You have empirical right. evidence that supports why they should add discretion or why they should drop a laser. And so again. The managing and the measuring, right? If it's there, now I can drill in and, and figure out, well, that person's actually trending downward. Or it looks like six weeks ago was their last actual date of service, and all of a sudden they're done with whatever treatment modality they're on. And so having that information is very valuable in negotiating stop-loss renewals. Agreed. And so that's where I see this would be very impactful. Not to like belabor the point of stop-loss, though, or self-funding. I mean, you can have fully insured groups on your platform too, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So what can I, what kind of data can I get or what limitations are a fully insured group, but I can still get something right when you, when you put them into the platform? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no limitations on, on the data whatsoever on a fully insured plan. Uh, some advisors put their entire book of business on our platform, okay. uh, particularly because they want to feed site. And, um, you know, PlanSite doesn't only focus on self-funded plans. They, they also focus on, you know, the, the fully funded and level UACA, funded. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so that's why, you know, by streamlining the data process and us handling the data management piece and freeing up their time. When I talk about data management also, we're not only bringing in claims data, we're bringing in plan data too, hmm. fixed costs, admin fees, okay. and stop loss premium. So then you can tell the entire financial picture and it truly eliminates account teams having to go to multiple systems and bring in the data to, to send to the stop And you guys loss. are providing reports too, right? It's not we just are. like you have to get into the database and drill in. I mean, there's reports that can, you know, claims reports, aggregate claims reports, yep. monthly stuff. So they're built and they're there when you need them. Now, are you running those, the broker just running them ad, ad hoc when they need them? Or is there sort of like a kind of repeatable cycle where they get access to them? Yeah, data? there's a couple of ways that can, that can be done. Uh, they just log in and they're ready when they need them because sure. the data is always refreshed or they can set up alerts uh, that, um, that, once the data is updated, it pushes those uh, financial reports or standard employer package to them on a regular basis. And well, that's what I love because I used to do that stuff manually, man, and I'd have to extract it out of the the TPA's you know database and then try to normalize the data and put it into a um, uh, you know a carrier, not a carrier, but an employer package, right? And so show them where they're trending and all that stuff. And it was very manual, but this was ten years ago, right? So you guys are providing a solution there. I know there's some other vendors that do that too, but it's how much time is wasted transcribing data from one Excel output to another output that's customer oh, facing. Yeah. It's all, all we talk about all day too. So I'm sure you guys are yeah. saving time there too. So all For of a sudden sure. you have this compounding effect that's happening. What about, um, you know, you mentioned PlanSite, right? And we love what you're doing and the connectivity mm -hmm. that, that happens there, but like other vendors, right? I'm sure you mentioned PBM, stop loss carriers, the TPAs. I mean, you're, you're quarterbacking a lot of the data collection on behalf or from these outside vendors, right? So do you have really good relationships with a lot of these, you know, complementary pieces that exist in the marketplace as well? We do. Uh, our, our latest integration is going to be with Claros on the underwriting oh, side. Oh, excellent. Uh, okay. So that, that, that's another heavy lift that um, typically advisors would export data then import it into the Claros 
uh, application, but Claros just updated their system to uh, go uh, go to the web, yeah. and because of that, we're going to build that integration. So it's a push button. Um, uh, data extract into Claros. That's amazing, right? Yeah. And that's that was going to get kind of leads me into the yeah. You know, we've got a couple questions left that I'm really going to talk about the future, right? Of future sure. of healthcare. And I think you, as a person with a track record you've had, you have a, a nice vision for what the future may look like. So, so connecting with the underwriting systems, of course, you know, we talked about a plan site as well. Um, you know, what do you think the future of data analytics looks like? Where do you think the next application of this information you're collecting is to kind of help fix this this healthcare crisis? Yeah, that, I mean, that's like a monstrous question. That's a trillion-dollar question, right? right? Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, To an amateur that's in, in benefits. So <laughs> Should I call on Joe over there? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, may yeah. Want to, you may want to bring Joe in <laughs> for this one. No, but, um, you know, we're looking at a lot of different things. So so one thing that, that we're looking at, because healthcare does start with the employee and the member and the person going to the doctor's office. So we're toying around with an idea of creating a... Um, know, maybe even a member-facing portal okay. that can direct them to go to the right place for care. And, and this isn't emergency rooms type stuff. It's it's imaging, it's urgent care decisions, not not emergency room visit, visits. But wh- where do I go for care? What should I pay? Mm-hmm. And what shouldn't I pay? Mm. So there are hospitals across the country that provide free care or discounted care to people based on income. So we're going to start bringing in the income of the employees so that we can bounce that off of the hospital database and deliver that back to the plan so that those claims can be readjusted. Oh, interesting. And even uh, would that get into the kind of steerage world, if you will, like to steer members towards maybe lower cost or higher quality providers and things like that? That's what I would say. I mean, because I've, I've been a you know, when somebody, something happens with my kids when I was younger, I mean, it's a confusing thing to figure out. So my kid has to go in for an MRI. Where do I go? How much is this going to cost? No one can really tell you. And so by having that concierge coach that you, you can just pick up the phone and call and say, hey, here's my situation. I really don't understand my plan can you help me with this? I, th- I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. Well, I do too, because you're, you're kind of um, triaging at the front of the utilization spectrum. So, you know, what, a lot of what you guys collect is in arrears, right? So yes. there's things that have already happened and you're looking back to figure out for the future, what should we do based on what already happened? But if you can go further backwards chronologically and say, how do we get the member to the right place or get them to the yep. lower cost provider, or is this nece- necessary, right? Like I, I obsess a lot about this is that front end, you know, not even just that, but the member's responsibility to keep track of their own health, right? Part of the problem of getting a member to choose the right things is do they have information at their fingertips to actually make a good choice? There's a lot of people that have this presumption. And I think it's correct that if you actually give individuals good information, mm-hmm. they'll make good choices. They will. That they'll actually truly go towards consumer-based healthcare because there's actually information for them to make a good choice. Right now, we've had it set up where the people just don't have access to this right. data. Everybody so, needs a little guide yeah. that can guide you along the way. It's, it's like when you go to um, Disney World and you want to go ride the What's the beast? Not the beast. Uh, what's that big roller coaster? Uh, I remember. Uh, Space Mountain. Space Mountain, yeah. Space okay. Mountain. Yeah. So you get there, you go to the map, and you're like, okay, where am I? Yeah. Here's where I am. Here's where I want to go. Yeah. 
and the map tells you how to get there. And yeah. that's, I think that's what has to happen in healthcare too. You got to kind of figure out where you are, what your health plan will pay for, what's the, where's the best place to go, where's the highest quality place to go. I mean, there's story after story of people going through procedures because they Googled a doctor on online and it showed he had a five star. But if you really look at his track record, it wasn't so good. Yeah. 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 Five star as according to who, like yeah, all the right. people that just felt compelled to had a good experience, but not exactly. all the people that had a bad experience. So kind of well, walk me towards uh, the end, Glenn. I mean, let's, uh, let's kind of leave the folks with a call to action, you know, kind of with that value proposition around analytics, what, you know, not whether they come to you, whether they come to somebody else, tell me the power of this and, and what people should be considering around this subject matter we just covered. Yeah. And once again, thank you for, for uh, always, man, I, this I, is I a really pleasure for me. It. I yeah. literally do feel like you're the coolest guy in insurance. Oh, so man. I'm, I, I'm so honored I, to have I you on the couch, man. Not, <laughs> but thank you. Um, you know, I, I, as I shared before, my mission, our mission is to partner with the most innovative people in America to help them compete in a very competitive market um, and to help them save a tremendous amount of time mm -hmm. so they can truly help uh, employers. And uh, if we can be a part of that, you know, from an insights perspective and a, and a process improvement inspective perspective, um, you know, that's, that's what I get excited about every single day. If we can just help one employer every single day. I mean, I get that. That's what drives me. And that's what excites me because well, I've been on that side. Your enthusiasm is, is infectious too, man. And I get excited every time I talk to you. So <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, like, best, best place to uh, get a hold of you, right? So LinkedIn, navmd.com, you know, yeah, either one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. LinkedIn, navmd.com. That'd be great. Or listen to this podcast and hit me up. I'll get you right. in touch with Glenn. Yeah, I know, I know, good. I know how to get a hold of him. Well, I appreciate <laughs> you, man. As always, uh, thanks again for for uh, fitting this in your schedule. Looking forward to having dinner tonight as well, yes. and then having some drinks and breaking some bread. So appreciate you, man, and keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, appreciate you too. Thank you. My pleasure. True Captive believes in healthcare that is personal an insurance that isn't complicated. Check them out at truecaptive.com.